welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Joining us on the ABCA podcast this week is Aberdeen Ironbirds manager Roberto Mercado. Mercado is entering his second season as manager with the Orioles High Affiliate. Mercado spent 17 seasons coaching at New Britain High School and five seasons in the Cape Cod League with the Yarmouth Dennis Red Sox with ABCA Hall of Famer Scott Pickler. In this episode, we cover the transition from coaching amateur to professional baseball, what he learned coaching high school and elite college at players, outfield play, his role as manager, the outfield Zoom chat we started during COVID, and what he got out of presenting at the 2023 ABCA convention in Nashville. Welcome, Roberto Mercado, the podcast. What you up to? What, what, how things been? Where, where are you traveling next? May twenty fourth, go to Enid or go to Lewiston for the NAI, and then fly directly to uh, Enid, Oklahoma, for the Division Two JUCO, and then from there fly to Cedar Rapids. Uh, for the Division Three, I'm in Cedar Rapids for a while, and then come back. Nora, my daughter, is graduating from high school, so come back for that, and then fly to Omaha June 14th for our board meetings, and then um, come back and uh, work some youth camps, and then head to Cary. They do a bunch of nice. travel stuff and trials and all that stuff going on, so be over there, and that'll take me till end of July, and uh go to Pensacola to see my parents and then um, school starts. School starts really early here. Um, My daughter's going to UNCG next year and they have stuff going on like um, August 7th. They start classes like August 14th or 15th. It's wild. Um, But they still go till December. I I thought maybe because of COVID they adjusted their academic calendar um, but they, they have finals, I think the first week of December, which seems like a long, mm-hmm. long time for college classes for me. It seems like way more than 15 weeks. Cause yeah, I, mean, I thought that was pretty standard eight. for 15 week semester. 
Here with Roberto Mercado, uh, second season as manager of the Aberdeen Ironbirds, high affiliate with the Orioles, uh, 19 years at New Britain High School, and then spent time in the Cape League also, so Connecticut native. So, Roberto, thanks for jumping on with me. Uh, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here with you. Did I get all that right? Yep, you did. All right, good. Thank goodness. Sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, the internet's not always good with with information. So, hey, are you are you happy with your decision to leave high school to to go to pro ball? I am. You know, um, that first year it was kind of mixed emotions. I was really happy where I was at. I was, you know, had a good job and was able to coach high school and I obviously get to go to the Cape every summer and obviously deal with uh, high caliber players and great coaches. And, you know, as soon as I got in, I, I was kind of, it was a family type atmosphere. Like I wasn't expecting that. And I was welcomed with open arms and, and any questions I had, everybody answered. And it was great. I think it was the best decision I, I made and I'm happy. I get to go to a ballpark every day and it's a blast. How did you tell your new Britain players you're leaving? Um, it was tough, man. Um, brought the guys in and just had a meeting with them and kind of told them my situation and what I was going to be doing. And they were super happy. I mean, it was some tears being shed, but, uh, they understood that it was the, the best decision for me and they were super happy for me. I still keep in contact with those guys and checking up on them. And, you know, I think that relationship piece is, is the most important thing. So, um, you know, I was told by a mentor of mine, no matter where you're at, you're going to impact people. So, um, Hey, go for it and see how it goes. And, um, and blessed with a great opportunity and happy yeah i got lucky you know evansville they kind of knew i was making no money there so that was a that was a easy you know and it was guys that i had played with a lot of them so they kind of got it and then jmu school wasn't in session yet so i didn't really have to deal with them but then iowa when i left uh, western illinois we had had fall ball already at iowa and so i I'd literally had to go in the locker room and tell those guys that i was leaving and i had had a fall with the freshmen guys that i had recruited really good recruiting class and that was a tough one and then you know western illinois was a little bit later uh, school had just started, so I, I had to, to bring them in as a group and, and tell them I was leaving. But I think kids understand that, you know, that they, they get it. Um, you know, they understand that you're moving on to a better position, and I think kids get it now. You just got to be honest with them. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. You know, we, we talked for a while before you were going to take the job. I was grocery shopping on the phone and you called me and I, you know, I just wanted to make sure that you laid everything out and you know, what really was the tipping point for you when you decided like, Hey, I'm going to do this. Um, really good question. I think, um, you know, the biggest thing was getting support from my, uh, my fiance at the time and making sure that she was comfortable with it. That's, I think that's the big piece that everybody kind of forgets about is that that support system and, and having that, having that lady behind you, that's going to support you hundred percent. And and she's, she's been awesome and super supportive and um, yeah, just uh, continuing to, to grow as a coach and give myself this opportunity. And, you know, there's a, a quote from Denzel Washington is, you know, luck is when opportunity comes along and, and you're prepared for it. And I feel like, you know, wasn't really looking for another job. And when the opportunity came up, you know, just my experience and 
the opportunities that I had and, and took advantage of those opportunities kind of prepared me for this situation that I'm in and loving every second of it. Yeah, I think that's great advice. We, we just talk about it all the time on the podcast, like do, do the best job that you can where you're at. And if you do a really good job, then somebody's going to notice and somebody will, will pick up the phone and call you like, but you have to do a good job of where you're at. Absolutely. hundred percent. Did you get a chance to reflect at all after your first year as a manager? Did you get any time off afterwards? Did you have duties after the season was done, or did you get a chance to to catch your breath a little bit? Yeah, definitely had a chance to catch my breath. Um, spent some quality time with the wife and make sure the house was clean and uh, dinner was dinner was prepared. And you know, off time definitely reflected on a great season. And we obviously we played really well. And at the end of the day, guys moved up to the next level, and that's what it's about. And that's not me. That's our entire coaching staff and the entire organization. And, you know, it did reflect a little bit. And again, just, just had a blast every single second with our guys and our staff and, you know, just memorable first year for sure. It was a, it was a great time. You have the same staff this year that you did last year. So we have a couple guys that moved up to a double a, our hitting coaches still here, Zach Cole, um, but an entire new staff. So bringing those guys in, you know, setting the expectations of what we're going to do every single day and just making sure we're collaborating and working together. So um, it's been a great transition, a lot of new faces on staff, and they've done a tremendous job with our guys preparing them every single day. Did you make any adjustments from last year this to this year with what you're doing? Yeah, for sure. I would say like more of the scheduling aspect, Um, just the day-to-day, you know, we're playing 130 games, playing six days a week and kind of monitoring players' workload and understanding that. I think that was like the biggest transition from – going from high school in the Cape where you only have a limited amount of time and there's so many things you have to do. And it's like, man, we got to make sure our guys are prepared for that game at seven o'clock and not overworking those guys. But, um, but yeah, definitely scheduling aspect, just um, the day-to-day and how to, how to handle different situations that that first year definitely prepared me for this year to be more prepared. And you lucked out a little bit last year because they adjusted the minor league schedule and they provided housing for the the minor league players. I mean, have you talked to anybody that had to deal with that beforehand, like how much easier it is for you with with some of that stuff taken off your plate? Yeah, for for sure. I mean, just even the players, just the the less stress of having to worry about where am I going to be staying and things like that. And um, the Orioles have done a tremendous job. I'm in my apartment right now. The place is beautiful not too far from the field and they take care of all of us. And I think that was great. I mean, um, James McCann was with us in rehab and usually guys buy a spread uh, for dinner. He's like, man, you guys are eating pretty good here. He's like, I'm going to get you guys a ping pong table instead. So pretty cool just to see guys from, you know, that were in the minor leagues years ago and kind of see how things have evolved and it's gotten much better for our guys. Who's a better player, Connor Norby or uh, Jackson holiday? Oh man, they're both special. Is that, man. The, I mean, is that the future I, middle infield of the Orioles? Could be. That's not my decision. <laughs> my job is. <laughs> hey, my I mean, job one is hits to, left, to, one to... hits right, one's second base, one's short. Like, I mean, you, you can kind of envision and dream on that a little bit of how special both those guys are. For sure. I mean, we got a guy named Mateo who's a pretty good player, and a guy named Gunnar Henderson too. So, I mean, there's a lot of talent. You know, we talk about versatility, and you know, whether it's youth, high school, you know, college, and professional baseball. Being able to play multiple positions is extremely important. You see a guy with the Orioles, Taron Vavra, who's can be an emergency catcher, play second place, play outfield. So I think um, being being able to be uh, play multiple positions will definitely benefit. But yeah, both of those guys, great players and, and fun to be around and looking forward to seeing Jackson with us for, we'll see how long he's here for and continue doing his thing. 
Did coaching high school as long as you did, does that help you? Okay, you know, Jackson was just in high school last year. Does that help you communicate with those guys? It does. Um, I think I think the biggest key is, um, like I said before, like the timing aspect of making sure in high school you have such a short amount of time. There's so much information you want to give to your players where here it's like, all right, we're going to just focus on one thing. Let's master this first and then move on to the next thing where in high school there's so many different things you have to do to prepare that guy for that short season. So, um, yeah, just making sure we're focusing on the small things and, and making sure we're delivering that message at the right time. A lot of times us as coaches, we want to help our players so bad. And it's like, man, I want to give them this, this, and this. And it's like, you know what, let's, let's hold back a little bit. Let's keep that information in our back pocket and use it at the right time and, and deliver it the right way to that player. Yeah, Kevin Chanel and I talked about that on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He talked about as he's gotten older, he say he says way less to their guys as he's gotten older. He kind of lets the drills take care of some of the coaching and, and and not trying to speak as much as he did when he first started. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, just observing and just watching and then, you know, maybe finding that way to kind of throw in. I'll give you an example. We had a player was taking around a BP two days ago and um, just squaring a baseball up in the ball to the warning. We have a big park in Aberdeen, he's squaring balls to the warning track in center field. And he comes out of the cage and I asked him, I say, what percent were you swinging right there? He's like, oh, about 50%, 60%. I'm like, man, you were barreling some baseballs, man. That was some controlled violence. And um, just kind of left it at that. And then, you know, that night, I think it was two for four with a home run. Um, yesterday during BP, I asked him again. I'm like, hey, I go, what percent were you swinging at in the game? He goes, about 80%. Uh, I felt like I was more in control, but, but with a controlled violence swing. And it's like, you didn't have to coach him. didn't have to, you know, say anything. It's just finding that right time to communicate with the guy and let him think about like, man, that was an easy swing and that ball went that far. So just little things like that, finding ways to do it without feeling like you have to tell the guy you need to do this, this, and this. So I think that's extremely important. Your time with the Cape with Scott Pickler, that help you deal with elite college players then too? Cause you're going to get the elite elite with college players too. Did that help you? Oh, it was a huge part of my development and giving me the opportunity to even be here. Um, Scott Pickler, great, great man. And somebody I still keep in contact with and, you know, just being able to be there and, and be around such talented players over the years and talented coaches. Like I learned so much from all the guys that have come, come through there and um, definitely prepared me to, to deal with this high caliber of player. You know, I see you're still doing the player of the game necklace and you showed the mini bat. Are you doing the mini bat necklace that you showed at the, the ABCA convention for barrels? I loved it. Yeah, we do. You know, we, we talk still about kids, uh, right? Yeah, they're still kids, and you know what? They 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 live for that, man. They love it. You know, we we have some incentives. Or it was, uh, you know, we have some incentive for guys with, with some gift cards at the end of the week, and for our pitchers as well as our position players. And it's you know, like you said, if you value it, let, let's reward it and make sure these are the things that we want to focus on. And yeah, it's fun, man. Guys bring their barrels with them to our weekly meeting, and they get they get the barrels, and guys are battling to see how many uh how many barrels they get on that chain. So it's fun, man. It's it's been fun. Was it difficult putting your ABCA presentation together? It's funny because I schedule so far out. You're an amateur coach. You know, people look at the lineup on the youth stage and like, oh, wow. I'm like, well, Berto was a high school coach when I asked him to to speak. And luckily mm -hmm. he did it. And I, I felt bad for you, too, because you're coming off your first season as a manager. And then you got to probably just rush in to try to get your presentation finished. No, it, it actually worked out pretty well. I had some video that I, I, I recorded during the season and it kind of translated it's funny it's like no matter what level you're at we're still focusing on the fundamentals of the game and like i said before we're focused on one piece um not not the whole player just hey let's focus on this one thing so um 
yeah, presentation that went really well. Thank you again for the opportunity. And, it was um, phenomenal. Yeah. If anybody hasn't watched it, you need to go watch Berto's uh, talk from, from last year in Nashville. It's fin- I thought it was one of the best ones we had in the lineup. And the lineup was great, but I thought it was one of the best ones we had. Thank you. Appreciate that. Was Pick the one who nudged you to be an ABCA member? Actually, um, it was back in 2017. It was in Anaheim, my very first year. Um, actually, Tyler Gillum, a friend of mine, uh, brought it up and said, hey, you should head out to the ABCA. And, and that was my first year. And it was awesome. And Scott Pickler, that's his hometown out in California. And I kind of roamed around with him. And he's like the he's like the governor over there, man. Everybody knows him. And he's introducing me to everybody. So, uh, yeah, it was a great first experience there. And I wish I joined earlier, and but I didn't. But you know, I definitely took advantage over these past couple of years, getting better as a coach and getting to meet great coaches and building that foundation, especially even during COVID. I mean, we all connected so much uh, during that time. How did you connect with Ty? Uh, Tyler Gillum? Yeah. yeah um, he was actually coaching in the Cape. He coached in 2017, I want to believe. And um, yeah, became good friends and somebody that uh, I look up to. Great guys doing a great job with the Savannah Bananas over there and happy for him and, and the opportunities with his beautiful family. Uh, these questions were pick, by the way, pick, I text pick. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm interviewing Berto. And he, he said, first one is rumor has it when you got to YD, you guys won three state league champion or three, three straight league championships. Yeah. He's hilarious. He always says, Hey Berto, before you got here, this isn't as easy. He's like, this is hard. And you come in and you went three in a row and you know, that's it helps when you got guys like Shane Bieber and Walker Bueller and you know those kind of players Tommy Edmond guys like that uh it, it kind of helps a little bit but no it was it was fun man pick always always brings that up every time we talk what did pick tell you about your your future wife when he met her the first time oh man he said you better keep this one this is a good one he's right though um, I mean right at the convention this year he, yeah. he was he was correct she is she is a wonderful person she is, like I said, super supportive, and I wouldn't be able to do what I do without her. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Pick always brings that up, right, too. Last Man. one from Pick. He left for two games. Trevor Hoffman's going into the Hall of Fame, so he left. And he actually named you manager. So how was it when, when Pick was gone? It was fun, man. We we actually had a blast. Um, we, uh, Nate Fish, who was a, a coach in Team Israel, um, he, we actually sent him a message and said, hey, Pick, why don't you just stay out over there? Don't worry about coming back we'll take care of this so uh, we needed to win two out of three to i think to clinch first place or clinch the playoffs and we won all three games so it was, it was fun it, we had a blast how was it we when he came it was, back it was good i mean yeah it was back to normal you know we, we try to convince pick hey pick just sit on the bench over there we'll take care of this and uh obviously that didn't happen but uh no we had a blast and trevor hoffman sent us a message uh a video message saying that he was proud of us so it was, it was pretty cool he has not pick hasn't changed i went this summer for a week and vacation up there and so i went to yd and he's in there pre-game he's in the cage he's working with the guys he's wearing guys out about their swing about staying short staying above the ball he, you know he has not changed since back when i was playing and coaching in the league uh, yeah. he has not changed one bit which is why he's still doing it no. at a high level oh definitely i mean loves it loves it and you know he was ahead of his game ahead of the time you know guys are you're seeing a lot more off-speed pitches, and back in 2014, 2015, we're, we're throwing the slider. And if you're if you're coaching in the Cape against us, you know that's coming, and that's something that you're seeing obviously a lot more now. But back in 14, 15, that wasn't a thing, and he was one of the first guys that kind of pushed that to our pitchers. 
You gave a great Barnstormers talk at Northeastern a couple of years ago. You brought some of your New Britain players over. Are you still working with the outfielders, or as a manager, does some of that stuff get taken away from you? Yeah, so um, this last season, it was more of infield play with with me. That was my priority there. We have a, our outfield base running coach, Billy Facto, does a great job with those guys, and I also help out there. And, you know, as a manager, you're kind of all over the place. But my main priority is with the uh, with the infielders. Hey, great drill that I'd never seen before where you have the outfielder sliding into home plate with their gloves on and then making a play. Where did you get that from? Did you come up with that on your own? Yeah, I, honestly, I was just thinking about finding different ways to just teaching guys how to slide and make that pop-up slide, feet first slide. And I'm like, you know what? We slide into bases. Why not just try this? And it was kind of just, just, yeah, just like, hey, let's give it a shot and see if it works or not. And the guys liked it and something that uh some that we've done at the high school level. Did you have turf at New Britain? No, we didn't. We so actually were you did doing it. that we directly actually... on the feet and the, the skinned area? So you're having them slide into home plate on the skinned area? Yep. Or even at third base, having them run just sliding into third base and sliding into second base. Try to keep it as natural as possible. Like, hey, let's not overthink this. You're sliding into second base like you're still in a bag. You just got a glove in your hand. Hey, how did you get connected with our COVID outfield Zoom chat? And I, I still, like, I thought about it the other day. I don't even know how all of that, like, it just, like, organically happened where, like, the five of us found each other. We still have a group chat together. It's just, like, happened organically that the five of us found each other. Yeah, I think it was, um. so there was the infield chatter, and um, a bunch of us were on, and um, Tim DeJean, our infield coordinator with the Orioles, was on that, on that uh, panel. And then I think after a couple of weeks, we're like, man, I'm not sure if it was Pla. I don't know if it was you. It talked about it. Let's well, do I said, hey, pattern. I don't know much about outfield, but I'll I'll jump in on this thing. <laughs> and and poor yeah. Jake, the, I know I know why Jake started it because he had the Zoom account. So Jake Lindmeyer, like that's how Jake came yep. in. He's a catching guy. I'm an infield hitting guy. But I was like, I don't know. It sounds like a good idea. We need stuff to do. I had just moved to North Carolina with my family. And I was like, I, I don't know. It sounds like a good idea. It's fun. Yeah. No, it was a blast, man. I, yeah, I think it started from the infield chatter. We're like, hey, let's do an outfield one. Next thing you know, there's five of us starting, and then there's 10, and then there's like 150 people on the Zoom call after like two weeks, and obviously bringing in great guests as well, and obviously everybody's sharing, and that was awesome, man. And that's that's one thing, you know, with COVID, you can take it as it a negative, blessing. I take it as a positive. That was a blessing. Yeah, it definitely was. Blessing. For sure. Who was your favorite guest out of that? You know, I think we went 11 or 12 weeks. Who was your favorite guest out of that crew? Man, that's a tough one. Um, I really liked uh, McGuire from the, uh, the the Guardians. I thought he was excellent, did a really good job presenting. And just even guys on our panel. I mean, everybody did a tremendous job. So just Bobby Scales just was random- mine. More, more for the yeah. after hours. Because we got yeah. in some managerial stuff and, and game situation stuff after. So, like, Bobby Scales was probably my favorite because I knew him a little bit, but I thought he opened up well. And I, I really – I think that was the one. And obviously, Jay, Justin Toole being on with us too just because he was a former player. Uh, those were the two mm-hmm. that stuck out with me on that. We probably should have videoed those. We probably should have videoed those a little bit better. I know – I think Zach has those, doesn't he, Casto? I think he still has Does he? that. I, yeah. Cause I know he, I think he was putting it out. Uh, God bless Zach, man. He's good stuff. Who cares? Oh yeah. 
Hey, how do you handle Definitely. managing prospects? I mean, not every one of your guys is gonna probably make it. And as the old time scouts used to call the non-prospects, they called them suspects. And I, I know you don't call, think about your players that way, but how do you kind of temper, okay, I know this guy's probably gonna get a chance to move up, but these guys might not. Does that even factor in with any decisions or are you treating everybody the same? I think everybody's being treated the same. I think give everybody the opportunity to get their work in and everybody has their individual plan on what they're going to focus on. So we don't want anybody to ever feel like they're less important than anybody else. Obviously there's guys that, you know, are going to take priority, you, you know, one would say, but I think as a staff, we do a great job of making sure we're helping every single one of our players. And we want our players to feel that they're the most important player on the team. And I think that's extremely important creating that culture and teammates really caring about each other in the clubhouse, as well as, you know, on the field. So I don't, I don't think we do, we don't do that at all. We make sure every guy's taken care of. Tyson, I talked about it a little bit last week. Do you feel any of that from your players as far as, okay, I'm not as good as that player or are they ultra competitive and it doesn't even matter? I think, um, I think as an everybody knows who everybody is now from a social media standpoint and their social comparison. I, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued. Is, is there more of a social comparison now with them and maybe I'm not as good or they're getting more play than maybe it was in the past? I think I'll be honest with you. We have so much talent in this organization that I think it just pushes everybody to try to be the best player that they can be. I mean, when you have your opportunity, whether you're playing, you know, four days a week, five days a week, or two days a week, when you get that opportunity, guys are getting after it. I mean, again, you know, we got guys playing multiple positions and, you know, time, we got rehab guys that come in. So time's going to be limited for certain guys. But when you have your opportunity, you know, they're, they're, they're performing. And at the end of the day, it's about that work day too, is making sure they're preparing every single day. And we preach this all the time. It's like, Hey, we're preparing you for seven o'clock tonight, but we're also preparing you for Camden Yards one day. So you're not going to just see that you know, that 91, 92 that we're going to face today, we're going to jack that up to 97, 98 with some hop and get you, get you that experience too. So guys push each other. And again, we have so much talent in this organization that um, I think it just makes the, the day go by and guys really push each other. You showed a video, you kind of were taking BP on like a side field somewhere. Did you have to do that? Have you had to do that at all to start the year where you're like taking BP on some side, random side field somewhere? Yeah, that was our, our first weekend in Jersey Shore. We walked into the clubhouse, first day in professional baseball, managing my first game, and all of a sudden the fire alarm goes off. I guess so the water pipe bursted in their batting cages, so we had to do it in the parking lot outside. Um, fortunately, we you know we we haven't had to deal with that this year, but um, you know just always got to be prepared for the unexpected, whether it's bad weather, whether you know no matter what level you're at, you have to be prepared. And we had a backup plan, so uh, it worked out really well. So fortunately, hopefully, hopefully that doesn't happen this year. Is the most time-consuming part of your job writing reports at post-game? Um, not really. I mean, I do a game report, and then I, I write reports on our infielders, like certain plays that happen. We have a, a defensive tracker that we saw monitor and watch every single ground ball, and then the following day maybe bring a guy in and say, hey, what do you got on this play, and just have that conversation. But, um, no, for the game reports, it's not a ton. You know, we have to do some – information on opposing teams in regards to, to defense and how we're going to grade those guys and, and, you know, just what our information is, but not for the most part, it's not a ton of uh, game reports or anything like that. Coming from the high school and Cape side, did you have to kind of temper your expectations as far as winning as opposed to developing or, or are they kind of the same? Like we're trying to develop and win at the same time. 
Yeah, I, I think um so high school obviously we're we're trying to develop and win. Um in the Cape, same kind of deal. We're trying to develop, but we're also trying to win. We're, you know, it's super competitive there. You're playing for big community and then professional baseball. It's kind of, it's more of a, like, let's focus on the player and make sure they develop and the wins will come when they come. You know, I'm not, I don't even know what, what our standings are. I don't know what our record is. All I know is we won the last couple of games and playing really, really well. So that's the main focus and the wins will take care of themselves. And, you know, I said this before, winning is when I get to call a guy in the office and say they're moving up to double A and that, that's winning in my opinion. Yeah. Because, again, a lot of that's out of your control, too. You might have a really good team to start the year, and then guys are going to get called up, and so you're going to lose some some roster spots with, with guys that are really talented, which is a great thing. Like, you have talented players, but mm -hmm. you're probably going to lose those guys at some point. They're going to get called up. For sure. And, again, that's winning, man. I mean, last year we had basically three different teams, and we won the first half and had a pretty solid second half and made it to the finals. And, you know, right before that championship series, a couple guys had to get called up, and – you know, I'm happy for them. It's like, yeah, it sucks that we lost those guys, but it doesn't matter. It's about them moving up and ultimately getting to getting them to reach their final goal of getting to Camden Yards. You're the Roberto Clemente award winner last year, and I know he's one of your idols. How was how gratifying was that that you won that award last year? Oh, the uh, oh, that was the the Kyle Ripken uh, Kyle, senior yeah. award. Yeah, 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 yep. Um, yeah, it was awesome. I was I was surprised. I mean. Again, that's nothing to do with me. That has to do with all our entire staff that work their tail off every single day. And the the, the players, man, I mean, they come out, they get after it every single day. And it's just being, it was an honor, you know, being first year, I was super shocked and had an opportunity to go to Camden Yards at the end of the season versus Toronto and was able to see uh, George Springer, who actually walked by and, and before I was getting interviewed, he's like, Berta, what are you doing here? He had no idea why I was there. So it was awesome to catch up with him. It's been a while, but um. But yeah, man, it was a great experience. Wife was able to come down as well, and it was it was a blast, man. Definitely a dream come true. Hey, for somebody who doesn't know how you know George Springer, explain how you know George Springer. Yeah, George was a New Britain native. Um, his uh, grandmother was a principal here, and um, I actually coached him when he was a freshman in high school at New Britain High School before he transferred over to Avon Old Farm. So um, still connected with the guys. You know, back in 2017, he uh, reached out and bought our entire team uh, cleats and was a big part of our community. So great guy. Still keep, don't talk to him very often. He's a busy guy, but, um, you know, every time I do see him, I make sure we uh, connect. So very, great person. How many of those new Britain players that you coached over the years ended up moving on to the next level? Um, I don't have that number on me, but we've had quite a bit of guys and, you know, it's an inner city school and, you know, there's no recruiting. We get what we get. And at the end of the day, we're trying to get the best out of those guys. And we've had a handful of guys. Um, I want to say maybe, I want to say at least four or five guys every year have moved on to, to play college baseball. And ultimately we want every single one of our players to either move on to secondary education, get into the military, do something with their lives and make sure they have a plan. And even this past year, there's a couple guys that, um, you know, that I, that I knew from coaching them freshman, sophomore year, helping them contacting some college coaches and say, Hey, what do you got on this guy? Maybe this, maybe this kid will be a good fit for your program. So still trying to help those guys any way I can still. I mean, how do you temper those expectations as a high school coach where you do want your guys to go to the next level and play at the next level, but also the most important thing is is what we're doing right now as, as New Britain players? For sure. I think um, I think making sure guys understand that, hey, we're going to go to the next level. Hopefully you have that opportunity to coach, see something in you to, to prepare yourself to for that next level. But I think um, being able to 
being able to focus on the now, right? Making sure guys are locked in on where they're at right there, their high school season and finish strong and have a really good year and, and get ready for their off season and hopefully go play college baseball. Was UConn Avery Point the only chance you had coming out of high school? Yeah. Um, it's kind of crazy how it all happened. I was a pretty good outfielder, good defensive outfielder. That was a little light. Um, went to – Chris Corkum, a hitting clinic, a hitting guy, went out there for a day or two. And this was my senior year. It was at the end of the season. And um, he's like, hey, are you playing college baseball? I said, I'm not sure what I'm doing, to be honest, which I wasn't even going to go to college. And um, he's like, well, you need to play college baseball. And he contacted Roger Bidwell, and he came down to see me. Unfortunately, I had a great summer that year and um, came down and said, hey, we'll give you an opportunity. And was blessed for that opportunity and be able to meet, you know, uh, coach Pedezua, who's a the assistant coach over at UConn, and he's the kind of he's the he was my hitting coach at the time, and you know he's the kind of guy that brought me into the Cape and said, hey, you know there's an opportunity, um, see if you want to go for it. And I said, absolutely, let's do it. So, are you holding blessed, on man. to anything that you learned as a player, like drills or anything, coaching? Are you holding on to anything that you, that you learned as a player? I think um, the biggest thing I learned was and this may sound kind of weird, but not care so much. I was the kind of player that cared so much that wanted to do so well for our team. And it was, it kind of prevented me from actually seeing what I could actually do. Um, sometimes guys put so much pressure on themselves and wanting to perform and want to be the greatest, greatest, best player that they can be. And, and sometimes we kind of have to let go back a little bit and say, Hey, I'm a good player. I'm confident and kind of trick your mind into feeling great. And at times, um, you know, I tell our guys that all the time, if they're struggling a little bit, say, Hey, you're the best player on the field. If you don't think you're the best player on this field, let me know so I can take you out of the lineup. Um, and I think just that mindset, I think, is something that, you know, I learned at a young, I would say about high school to college age, and I kind of bring that on. But, I mean, with the amount of information, the amount of technology that we have and all the great coaches we have, there's um, there's so many different ways to prepare guys and different ways to teach guys. You know, content, you know, was was king before you know, all the information was, 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 wasn't out there. Now it is baseball community. We share everything. And, and now it's just about how we're going to deliver that message to our players and, and see what sticks to the guys. Yeah. I love the quote, be careless, but don't care less. Like I, you know, I would try, I would say that to our players all the time. I'm like, be careless, like, okay, carefree and all that, but don't care less. Like it's important, but you mm -hmm. have to get out there with that joy and, and, and attack it that way. And, don't put so much pressure on yourself. It's that free to fail mentality. Like that's just part of playing the game is, you know, it's going to stick it to you sometimes, but you can't concern yourself with that. Like you just got to go out there and play carefree and, and play with some joy. Absolutely. And, you know, we try to do that with our environment when they're training, like, Hey, this is kind of a judgment free zone here. We're going to, we're going to expose you to different shapes and really challenge you. And it's okay if you fail, like this is the time that's, you know, we're going to get our work in, you know, and, just another thing with that, you know, baseball is such a long season and our players spend so much time with each other and with our staff, you know, for a good seven months of the year. And it's like, if you're not having fun every day, then, then what are we doing? You know what I mean? Like, let's make sure guys, no matter what level you're at, man, even at the professional level, we want to keep things fun and keep things loose and but understand that, hey, we got some work to do and we're going to get after it. But making sure we're changing our practice plans and making sure guys are engaged and, and having fun. So I think that's a, another big thing. I saw UConn Avery Point only has three teams on campus. Is that a benefit? There's only three three teams that compete on that campus. Yeah, really small school. Um, we actually had apartments, um, so it's more of a right by the uh, by the water. Beautiful campus. I mean, our head coach used to take us for fly balls in the outfield by the water, and it was about 45 mile an hour winds. And he would say, "Hey, 
you can catch this ball, you can catch any ball. And he was right about that. But uh, yeah, really small school. Um, our head coach was also the athletic director. Um, so yeah, you were going there for baseball, get your two years in and then hopefully transfer to another school and go from there. Did you need a smaller school to start? I needed a school to start yeah. because I didn't have any options, you know, um, <laughs> I didn't have a great senior year. And I was like, again, I was blessed for the opportunity to go over there and you know, perform pretty well for, for those two years while I was there with a lot of great talented players around around as well. When you first got to the Cape with Pick, what are the things that stuck out about him? Um, intense at times when he needed to be. Um, it's funny, like, I think we lost like five in a row and he was just so calm and just like, hey, it's okay. We'll get him tomorrow. And it, I think that's something that always stuck with me. It's like, hey, today doesn't, it's not the most important thing. Let's continue we got another day tomorrow and especially in professional baseball, you got 130 games. And it's funny early on, we, we had a couple of losses in a row and our, the clubhouse was super quiet. And I walked in there and said, Hey guys, we got 122 more of these guys. It's okay. This isn't like a college season where you maybe lose a series, you know, and that's maybe a, a big part of a chunk of your season here. It's like, we got a long way to go guys. It's okay. And I think, uh, I think I picked that up from pick right away early on. And I think how we managed all of us as a staff, you know, held us to high standards, um, didn't micromanage us, let us do our thing, but also made sure that we were on time and making sure we were doing things the right way. So I, I take a lot of that from from Scott. Well, yeah, how long does it take that time to develop relationships with your players? Because they've had a, a lot of coaches before they get to you now. How do you kind of deal with that with them? Because they're going to bring some baggage in with them, you know, with, with coaches. Again, a college player probably had a coach get after them if they're a five game losing streak in college like coach might get mm. after them how do you kind of handle that with the relationship piece where they may have been treated differently than the way you're going to treat them for sure um i honestly when we guys first get in there we do a presentation and kind of go over our expectations and say hey if we're going to struggle and that's okay like we want you to struggle like this is not supposed to be easy um, and making sure guys understand that it's so we're not going to get on you if you get thrown out, if you steal a base and you get thrown out, nobody's going to care. We're just going to learn from it and grow from it. And that that's what it's really about. So giving that our guys freedom to to be able to fail, I think is extremely important. So and again, that made that's a little more difficult in the college game where, you know, you kind of have to win there. And for us, we make sure we make guys feel comfortable. And again, getting to know the player and, you know, seeing how their girlfriend's doing and how their family is, you know, there's been a lot of uh, players and their families coming in. I make it a point to to try to meet every single parent that that's there and let them know how great their son is. I mean, we've only been together for a couple of weeks, but um, we got a great group of guys that really get after it, man. It's it's fun to watch them and, you know, make sure to tell their parents like, hey, you did a great job with your son, man. He's, he's been an honor to, to manage. Are you watching Ted Lasso at all? I am actually. Um, Have you watched the season yet? I um I'm on I think I'm almost up to date. I think I'm missing one or two episodes. Yeah, um the new it's funny. Just came out yesterday. It's good. Yeah, I gotta get on that. Um, but uh actually, you know what reminded me of that was Jackson. I was talking to Jackson the other day. I said, Hey, what are you watching? What do I need to watch? And he said, Are you up to date on Lasso? I said, No. So I actually jumped on there and was watching. And I'm so, even more show. of a fan of Jackson now if he's a Ted Lasso fan. <laughs> so tell Jackson he's got a kindred spirit in Ted Lasso. You know, it, it's just I know it's a, a Technically, it's a sports show. It's not. It's a life show. And, and they've even said that. Jason Sudeikis said that. Like, I, I know the background is soccer or football if you're from Europe. But he said it's not a it's not a sports show. It's basically a it's a life show and how you deal with life For situations. Sure. I think it's great. The writing's Definitely. great. 
Although there, there's rumblings, this is gonna be the last season. Ooh, there's no. rumblings that they're gonna close it off. Like there's, yeah, that's uh, that would be sad because it's, I love it, I love it. Yeah, that's a great, great show. Hey, I had somebody kind of reach out to me on LinkedIn about they're on the amateur side of getting into professional baseball, and I think this is the you know we still have a ways to go, but I think it's it's easier to get in now if you haven't been in professional baseball. For somebody maybe that's thinking about trying to make that step, what are some recommendations for somebody? Yeah, um, I would say any kind of opportunity you have, like if you're a high school coach and you have an opportunity to go to a summer collegiate league, take advantage of that. You know, obviously financially it may be difficult depending on your situation, but, you know, take all the pros and cons in and say, hey, is this something I really want to do? I think this is going to help help my development as a coach. Also, you know, networking as well. I would say that going to the ABCA obviously is another great place where uh, you can network as well. And again, you know, like I said before, kind of be where your feet are and try to be the best at where you're at. And, you know, we always tell our players, especially at the high school level, hey, you never know who's watching, man. Like people are in the stands, people know each other, college coaches, you know, there's friends that may be, uh, you know, friends with a college coach to say, hey, you need to go see this guy play. And the same thing with us as, as coaches too. They're like, hey, I think this guy's got something there and maybe keep an eye on him. So I would say, I would say that try to give yourself as much exposure as you can. I was fortunate enough to go to Australia and New Zealand in 2017, 2018. And that came from a scout from, from Tampa back in um, 2016. So just, you know, again, you never know who's watching, work your tail off and go above and beyond, man. Just do, do more than what's asked of you and, you know, put in those long hours and, you know, it's, it's, People say it's a grind. Like, it's not a grind. It's fun, man. If you if love you what love you do. It, it's not a grind. Yeah. It is not. The people that, if not somebody not. says this is a grind, I'm like, they don't like it that much. <laughs> exactly. For sure. I'm with you on that. Do you have a fail forward moment? I mean, you have something you felt like might set you back, but, uh, you know, it helped you move forward in life? Um, I would say, I want to say in 2017, I actually went on an interview uh, for a professional team. First time I ever did. I haven't been interviewed forever. I don't think even you know about this. And um, did the interview, never got a call back or anything like that. And it was kind of like, man, maybe this isn't for me. And um, and I told myself, you know what, let me keep growing and let me keep continuing. I'm, I'm 43 years old. I'm not a 23, 24-year-old kid. I've been around the block a little bit. But um, I would think just that opportunity and of just being interviewed and kind of going through that experience kind of helped me prepare for for this situation that I'm in right now. Um, I would say that would be one of the things that I, that I, uh, would be a, a, failed, a failed moment. Were there any questions they asked you that you didn't feel like you were prepared for? Um, I honestly, I don't remember exactly. I just didn't feel very confident going into it, to be honest with you. And I think that was the best thing that I did was failing at that and not doing very well in that situation. I knew so, mine, um, mine's the Kansas state phone interview. I screwed up. Like that's my biggest one. Like I knew I screwed that up. They asked me about recruiting mm -hmm. the recruiting calendar and I didn't have a great feel for it. And I muddled through it. And like, I, I knew I screwed that up. So I knew I needed to get better at that piece. And that was a brutal mm -hmm. apologize to Kansas state way back in 1999 <laughs> uh, and how bad my phone interview. And I've never been good at phone interviews. I, I would have, like to have been a coach now coming out with zoom chats um i just feel like the the face-to-face -face eye contact piece is huge i just think over the phone you don't always get context uh so i that was the least favorite part of my job 
And even at Western Illinois, I was on a bunch of hiring committees. I hated doing phone interviews with candidates too, because you just couldn't get great feel. I mean, you're looking at the resume, you're talking to them. You just can't get great feel for somebody over the phone as opposed to eye contact face-to-face or meeting them face-to-face. It just was always my least favorite part of the interview process was the phone interview piece. For sure. What are some uh, resources or recommendations of, for people listening in that they need to get into that you're, you're diving into that you feel like helped you outside the ABCA? Well, I was going to say the ABCA is yeah, yeah, a big I mean, part. Yes, yeah. But anything else? Anything else tricking your trigger right now that you like? Um, it's funny. All our all our coaches are reading different books right now, and I have to get on them about which book should I read next. Um, I know, I'll throw uh, I three out. To... The three I'm t- two I have are rereads. I'm going back to ones I've really liked. Psychology of Money, phenomenal book. It has great stories in there. I told that story. Uh, with the Walking Tall podcast, I interviewed them. But one about Lou Gehrig's, um, you know, it's not in Psychology of Money. It's in uh, uh, Discipline is Destiny. I'm talking about Lou Gehrig wanting to quit when he was in the minor leagues. It's a phenomenal story. Ooh. They had to send a scout down to, to an old-time scout. Had to explain to him that, that three or four out of ten is really good in baseball. Because Lou Gehrig thought mm-hmm. he should get a hit every time, so he's going to quit. Uh, so they had to temper his expectations on what that is. But Psychology of Money is tremendous. And then I don't normally read nonfiction books, but I'm rereading Dharma Bums, uh, Jack Kerouac, uh, The Beat Writers. I'm, a, I'm kind of an old hippie, so in the 60s, uh, the Beat Generation uh, was writing books, and Jack Kerouac was writing books. On the Road, everybody knows On the Road, but Dharma Bums, I didn't really like On the Road. I liked Dharma Bums a lot. It's a really short read, so that's one of the nonfiction books I'm going back to right now just because it meant so much to me as a high school kid it really changed my worldview on on what is important and what isn't important by reading some of the beat writers uh, I know that's not for everybody because some of those books are out there a little bit but that that whole culture of the beat culture actually changed my worldview on how to treat people and, and tempering expectations and and more than anything on how to actually treat people and and being kind to people like that's that spoke to me as a high school kid with the beat writers. Awesome. So yeah, tell your yeah, coaches definitely. to dive into those. I will shoot me a text with those, uh, <laughs> those books again so I could send it up to those guys. How is your sleep schedule? I mean, you're playing mostly night games, correct? I mean, you, you mix a day game in. Yeah. Is getaway day always a, a day game for you guys? So is that Sunday game a, a day game for you guys? Yeah, usually Sundays are uh, one o'clock or two o'clock start. Um, I'll give an example of like our schedule. Like right now, it's eleven forty a.m. I'll probably get to the ballpark around twelve thirty. Uh, clubhouse will open around one thirty, so I'll get in about an hour before. Um, guys will get their lips in depending on their schedule for that day. We have our early hitting group. We have our defensive group. We'll kind of go through the entire day. Seven o'clock game. Game ends at nine thirty. Hopefully, we win. We hand out the chain. Um, then kind of meet with the coaches and kind of go over the fundamentals of some things that happened in that game and then set up our classroom for the following day. And then, um, talk to the strength and conditioning coach, talk to our athletic trainer, seeing how the team's doing health wise. And if there's anything we need to give a guy a day, things like that, set the schedule up for the following day. I'll do my game reports. Um, look, look over some video, check my emails and then head back home. So it's, when do you get kind of a, when do you get to sleep? Um, so I usually sleep. I probably go to bed, honestly. Um, 
2 a.m. and I'll get up around nine. So I'll get a good seven hours every single day. Um, try to get a workout and have some breakfast in the morning before get get the day started. I need to start reading maybe some of those books that you mentioned. You're put that in my routine man. as well. Save it for the fall. Yeah. <laughs> put it on your list well, for, for October. <laughs> no, that's that's one of my goals actually is to um and I've been off reading. I I go in, I go in spurts. You know, it's similar to lining up the podcast. Like I I have like four recordings this week. I think I have five next week because I'm doing so much travel here at the end of May that I, I didn't want to rush. So I I just want to get a bunch of them in the queue so I can kind of take a breather there in June. I do the same thing with reading. Like I'll get in a a, a, a like I'll drink from the fire hose with like two or three different books, but then I will take a break from it too, to get away from it. And I won't read for a while. Um, you know, just it, that works for me. I, you know, I, I'll, I'll throw recommendations out there, but anything that I do works for me. I don't expect it to work for everybody else, but that that's always worked for me where, I, and, and I have to, when I read, I need two or three going at the same time, because I, I think from a retention standpoint, I like to read a chapter read a different chapter of a different book, read a different chapter of a different book, and then rotate back around. I think it keeps me more engaged. It's almost like studying. I, I, that's how I always studied in high school and college too. Is So I tried to relay to our players. This is one of our first meetings we had with our players when they got there is, is actually study, study skills. Um, we always wanted them to study because they were in class. Usually it's a 15-minute block for a college class, so they get 10 minutes off. So that, I wanted them to, to study in the same block they had to go to school in. So I would recommend that, hey, go at it for 50 minutes, but now take a break. You know, take a 10 or 15 minute break and then go into something else, a different class for 50 minutes. Take a 10, 15 minute break and then go back just from a retention standpoint, you know, if you try to go for like two or three straight hours on something, you're going to lose a third of that. So you're basically wasting your time from a retention standpoint. So I've kind of carried a lot of that from what I was doing as a, a player and a student growing up. And that did really help our players because a lot of kids, you know, especially your high school kids, they've never really been taught like how to study, best way to do it. So I really felt like that was a really beneficial thing that we would explain to our college guys is like, hey, study in 15 minute blocks, take a 10, 15 minute break and then move on to something else. Love that. That's great. Great insight there. You got any questions for me? Well, when you come to visit me, man, are you going to go to- I'm going to see you next week. You, you got put, okay. You're in Winston-Salem awesome. next week. We are, yep. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I got invited, these old timers invited me on a golf trip. So a week from Friday, I'm going on a golf trip, but I'm going to, I'm, I got time early in the week. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to sneak over and see, I'll let you know for sure. Like when I'm coming to Winston-Salem, it's 20 minutes from, awesome. from the office. So it's good. I love seeing nice. you. I mean, it's, I'm excited. You know, I saw you really early last year you guys were here like the first or second week you know norby hit a opposite field home run the first pitch of the game that tuesday i just got done working camp for scott bankhead and came over and norby had actually played for scott bankhead if you go to the north carolina baseball academy norby's name is on their list of of college commits um but I, you know i just saw him so much that spring like i knew what he was gonna do what, did he end up with 30 last summer? Is that what he ended up with, 30 ended home up, runs? I think it was 29, 29 home runs. And 
went up three levels. So well, you look at Zach there. Nato too. You know, Nato was in at Campbell last year, and uh, he's doing the same thing at the big league level that he was doing at the college level. And that you know, that's a you know, that's a compliment to what college coaches are doing now. Um, you know, you got a kid who was in college last year who's already doing really well in the big leagues. It's a crazy. I, I don't know the last player that, that made that jump that quick, but I'm sure there's a couple guys in there. But you just watching Neto too last year, you just you knew because he does everything well. He can really play defense. He looks like a big league shortstop and he's got great feel, just like Norby. You know, that's why I love in the group chat, I, I say it all the time. I'm man crush for okay. those two guys because I was I was ripping the preseason top one hundred because I don't think either one of those guys were in the top 100 for for infielders. I'm like, I don't know what anybody else is seeing that that you know that isn't seeing that I'm seeing just because they do everything well, and that's an advanced feel for hitting. I mean, did you? I know Norby was with you briefly, but did you have a chance to like talk to him much about his approach? Yeah, he talked about working um, middle the other way. That was kind of his big thing, and he had power to to all fields and. Once we, we got that down, you know, our hitting department kind of did a good job of some pull side now and kind of gap to gap power. And um, he has a great approach and, you know, he's tweaked some things as he moved up levels as obviously as you move up, pitchers are going to be better. They're going to have better command of their off speed. So um, obviously jumping three levels last year was a testament to his hard work and dedication. And our coaching staff did a great job helping him out too, guiding him along the way. How do you handle that as a coach? Because you, every player you coach, there's going to be some weaknesses. How do you handle that as a coach that that maybe want? Because this happened to me as a hitting coach. Sometimes we would focus so much on on a player's weaknesses sometimes that it started to take away from their strengths. Yeah, um, I would say I'll give you an example from like the defensive side. We have a player that um, struggles a little bit with the slow roller. Um, and you know what? That's going to be one of his focuses on. And we're going to work on that on the side with our mini hack. We're going to do it in play. But we're also not just doing slow rollers. We're making sure they're making the routine play, working on their backhand and things like that. So just incorporating it during the week without making it like, hey, this is all we're going to do for the next three weeks. It's just one part of their kind of their routine. And again, for guys, it's it's getting them to the point where they can create their own routine. And they tell us, hey, this is what we. This is what I want to do today. These are the different things we need to do. So give them a buffet of different things and give them the option, and then it almost kind of it runs itself, like the the pregame and whatever they're preparing for. So I think to your point is let's not just focus on that one thing that the guy is really struggling with. Make sure we're complementing it, throwing it in there with with all the great things that they already do. What, what's he struggling with on the slow roller? Just um more of the is it the catch or the throw. It's it's more of a combination of both. Um, do I throw on the run? Do I go two hands? Do I go one hand? So exposing them to different options, I think, um, has been great. And it's funny, you kind of see the defensive tracker the first couple of days struggle a little bit with a couple of ground balls. And in the last two or three, he's been absolutely amazing. So it's fun. Like, he'll run in and give a smile, and he knows that's something we've been working on. And it's it's pretty cool to see it ha happen so quick. So We use the stopwatch are... a lot for that. You know, that was yeah. a big one for us because, I, you know, a lot of guys are naturally running through with the glove, and they're comfortable with it. And so with the infielders, I would be like, hey, we're going to stopwatch you here. 
two hand is a tough play. Some guys, some kids, especially the college level, some kids aren't athletic enough to make the two handed play. And I'm like, Hey, you're way faster getting the ball to first base with just running through with one hand. So just stay with that. We'll continue to work two hand just so it's in there. And maybe that gets cleaned up over time. But I'm like, once we get to competition, go with whatever you are quickest to get it to first base. And so like the stopwatch was a good indicator for them. It's like, okay, this is the quickest that you get it to first base. So when we're in competition, use that. And then, yeah, we'll work on all three over time and maybe it gets cleaned up and those times start to come down. But right now, if, if running through one-handed or two-handed is your best throw, stay with that in competition. And then in training, we'll try to get that piece cleaned up. No, absolutely. And uh, again, Tim DeJohn, our infield coordinator, has done Stud. a tremendous job putting a plan together for our guys. And, um, you know, he's always open to different ideas. We do a bunch of different things. That internal clock, a lot of guys don't realize how much time they have or they think they have, you know, a guy will make a throw and they're like, oh, that's a 4-2. I'm like, no, that was about a 4-7, buddy. You're, you're, you're not going to get anybody. <laughs> Ours, ours um, were the opposite. Good. I'd be like, hey, we're working four flats today or four two today to first base. They'd be trying to fire it over there like their hair was on fire. I'm like, hey, that's a three four, three five. Like you're you're going too fast, uh, which I yeah. appreciate, but again, there's gonna be a time and a place for everything to make sure you make a good throw. So the stopwatch uh, is, is my favorite. And that's what I loved about your your uh your presentation too is you had the digital stopwatch on there. I love the interaction that you had with the crowd during that when you're asking the timelines. I know you kind of set that up with Pla in the beginning, but I thought that was a great visual with the stopwatch um, where you're have, having people guess during the presentation. I thought it was awesome. Very cool. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we incorporated that a little bit too with uh, just coloring baseballs. I know, I mean, it's probably been around for a while, but. It's funny, we uh, we have a plus runner on our team, uh, Luis Valdez, he stole 72 bags last year. This kid flies, he runs like a 3-8 to first base. And um, so I colored a gold ball, and every time I hit the gold ball, we have to get that ball to under a 3-8. So it's fun, man. It's competitive, and it's a great way to to get guys uh, more locked in during your, during your pregame or during your prep work is make it competitive. You know, we talk about that. It doesn't matter what level you're at, make it competitive, make it fun. And uh, guys, will, guys will enjoy it and they'll get after it. Are you guys running a little bit more with the new rules, the bigger bags and everything? Are you guys running a little bit more? So so last year we were the kind of the guinea pigs. We had the bigger bases um, and we had the the pitch clock and the three pickoffs. So we ran a ton last year. Um, this year we're running a ton too. Um, again, give guys freedom and kind of teaching them new school and traditional and kind of giving them both stop, both options and it's kind of funny, like we're, we're talking about base running here and we're also helping our pitchers with that combat that because, you know, Hudson Valley, um, Tallarico's over there with the Yankees, their their base running coordinator does a great job over there and, and we're facing them actually this week. So finding ways to help our pitchers combat that as well as helping our players continue to to, to master that. So it's been great. I mean, we're seeing our catchers are are stealing bags. We got everybody. I think everybody on our team has a stolen base. Um, last week we were, I think, 23 for 24. So continue to being aggressive. And again, we don't care if you get picked off. Let's, let's learn from it and just get better. How are you differentiating who can kind of stay traditional with their, their, their leads and their steals and, and who maybe needs to mix the hybrid leads and steals in? 
Yeah, I think um like our plus our guy was still seventy two bags last year. I mean this kid flies. I mean we don't have to worry about a new school. With him. That's I how I was too. I was a six three runner, yeah. so I I would I even if I was playing now I would have stayed more traditional because I didn't I didn't need any help. Now I vaulted naturally at second base, just because you had mm-hmm. to get a better jump. So my feet were always moving at second, but at first I didn't need to I didn't need to have my feet moving hardly at all. For sure. And we tell the guys whatever you feel most comfortable with and we'll expose them to both and continue to to work on the new school lead with guys and the hybrid and things like that to prepare guys. But, you know, I think that's one thing that's going to change in Major League Baseball eventually is that you're going to see more pitchers being a one, three or less to the plate. I think that's going to change where, you know, guys didn't care if guys stole the base, guys were one, five, one, six. And you're kind of seeing that now. But I think as years go by you're going to see much more pitchers focusing on hey we're going to vary our times here like you know I'm, I'm worried about this runner i don't want to get that guy to second base so i think over time i think we're going to see the base the pitchers doing a better job of holding guys on yeah what are some final thoughts or something i should ask you that i didn't before i let you go i know you're busy um man great question um i think um one thing i would say is to, to all the coaches is continue to expose yourself to as much as you can and there's so much great information out there and and go to the ABCA and continue to grow and learn there's so many great people out there that um can help you kind of guide your way of of what you want to do and kind of be that find that inner circle that you have that you can always count on and and be able to talk about personal things and things about what's going on and what opportunities you're thinking about or what you're doing and you know as coaches let's continue to try to create elite training environments where it's okay to fail and Let's focus in on the small things and not going crazy and make sure we're praising guys too. you know, little things like backing up a throw and make sure we're praising guys doing those things. I think that that environment, you create that environment and you continue stressing those things and rewarding those little things, I think um, will create a great atmosphere for your players that they want to come to the ballpark every single day. And I think we all continue to do that, no matter if you're whatever level you're at and you're passionate about what you do, then you're doing the right thing. So that's all I'll say to say that. So continue growing as as a coach and continue loving this game and continue loving your players. Catch them when they're doing it right, correct? I mean, did that come from the teaching side? You're an educator forever. Did that come from the classroom side for you? It did. I think it came from the classroom. I think it came from my parents. I think it came from my family and, you know, just making sure we take care of each other and make sure we, we have each other's back. And I think that's just the foundation of my family and blessed to have a great parents and a great family and now a great wife to, to, to share those things. But yeah, I think that's extremely important, man. Make sure we care about our players and on and off the field and, and make sure we're there for them. Berto, I appreciate your time. I know I've been badgering you since spring training, but I appreciate your time for coming on with me. I know you're busy, but I value our friendship, man. Like I'm again, I'm so grateful for COVID and everything that happened during COVID because I've I've developed some lifelong friendships through COVID with for guys sure. like you and everybody else. So I love you, my friend, and and good luck, and I'll see you next week. Sounds good. Love you too, brother. Take care. Thanks for having me on. Reflecting back on what we all went through during COVID, I'm grateful for the relationships and friendships that were developed during a tough time for all of us. Roberto is a rising star in minor league baseball, and I'm so happy for him. Thanks again to Antonio Walker, Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at coachb underscore abca or direct message me via the MyABC app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.
singing, baby, you set me free.